Thank you. Man, it's, it is good to be with you uh, all of 10 days. This is my 10th day here with you at, at Greenville Oaks, and I have, I've loved it. I feel like I uh, know everything I need to know, know about you so far, so thank you for being so transparent. Um, I, I, I'll be honest, as much as I've enjoyed this, it's been a great morning so far, I was kind of hoping for the uh, Star Wars-themed video to introduce me. Have you, if you've been here the last few weeks, you've seen this, this bumper video we have. But instead, I, I got, like, floating head Colin introducing me. So uh, it's okay. We'll run with it, and uh, we'll let it go, and uh, we're going to have a good morning. And it has been a really good morning with you. Uh, I've enjoyed this time because I hope that you realize what a special time this is in your church body. And in this place and in this city, I hope you realize what a blessing it is to have the people here that you do, to have Colin, to have uh, guys like, like Matt and Keith and, and other folks on uh, the ministry staff, but also the support staff that had devoted their lives to this church, and by doing that, had devoted their lives to this community, to this city. And I hope you realize what a special thing this is, and I, and I love the way that all of that converges into this morning, and the way that we, this morning, come together and declare that, that God is good. Am I right? I loved listening this morning. I, I sit up at the, at the front, and I, I get to hear all of your voices as we shout hallelujah together. Oh, I love it. And I, as we declare that, that God's the only one who fills our hearts the way that we desire for our hearts to be filled. And then as we say together, that this is the day, this is the place, this is the space that God has created for us to live within his creation and be his people, and that he's doing something big. And I, and I, and I see that happening here at Greenville Oaks, and I hope you do too. And I'm praying that this, this church would create ripples and waves in your city and in your county and in this world, all for the glory of God. And all this is, is why I love our text this morning. If you've seen it, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, that's where we are today. And I, I love this passage because the author in this moment can't help but exclaim how great our God is. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. It's a beautiful passage, and I want us to read it together as, as we get started this morning. So Philippians chapter 4, it's towards the very back of your Bible. Chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. God, we pray that your peace would be over this room this morning as we look at your word and look at our world and see ways that we can better be your people in the places that you have put us. God, we're thankful for the chance to lift your name high this morning. I pray that in this space we would be so filled with your 
spirit that we're able to leave and continue to lift your name high for people around us to see. Thank you for choosing us to use us in that way. I pray that you would give me in this moment the gift of preaching and imagination. Thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Carte in Curio Ponto te Palinero Carate, Carate in Curio Ponto te Palinero Carate, 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 Palinero Carate, 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 Palinero Carate, Carate in Curio Cato te Palinero Carate. Sorry, I, I was hoping you guys would sing with me. Uh, you recognize the tune, at least, right? Uh, well, okay. Well, I, I should probably go ahead and apologize now because um, there's two rules that you learn kind of at the beginning of preaching classes, which I've taken a couple of those. And one of the first lessons that you learn is, one, don't sing in a sermon. And two, don't use Greek in a sermon. I just did both at one time. So that's like a new feat, I think. So... But for those of you who don't know, I, I am in, in the process of, uh, of ministry training. And part of that process is I get the chance to study the languages that the Bible was originally written in, which includes ancient Greek, which is what that, that song just was. And I learned that, that song for the first time in one of those Greek classes at Harding. Actually, our professor would have us sing that song as he was handing out tests and as, as, as he was handing out quizzes. Yeah, not, that, that wasn't cool. We didn't like that. Because you recognize the tune, right? So maybe you understand our anxiousness at singing this song. Like, how are we supposed to sing this song as the guys handing out tests? Because we knew, even in our limited ability as second-year Greek students, I think we could read, like, at the level of a five-year-old, we knew even then that what we were singing was Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. And yet he was having to sing this song as he was handing out tests and quizzes that we were likely going to fail. So how does it make sense to sing that song while he's handing out this, these quizzes? How does it make sense to sing? How are we supposed to sing in the midst of a test? Does that sound familiar? Maybe this morning even you're, you're sitting here and you're asking yourself that same question. Maybe you're going through a, a test. Maybe you're in a, in a deeply dark time. And you're saying to yourself, if you knew what I was going through, you would know why I can't sing this morning. Or maybe you're sitting there and, and thinking to yourself, how can, how can all of you, how can we as a church sing these songs of joy and rejoicing whenever all of around us there's so much darkness in this not only maybe in our, in our families, but in our, in our city and in our government and in our, our world even. How are we supposed to sing in the midst of all of this darkness? It doesn't make sense. I'm reminded of our ancestors who hundreds of years ago were in captivity. And they wrote some songs about their time in captivity. And the I irony about one of those songs, Psalm 137, is they actually say to one another, How do we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? We recognize that usually singing and, and struggles don't go together very well. Because, at least in my experience, 
I don't like to sing in struggles. My reaction is not to sing, but to scream for solutions. Right? And, and maybe your, your reaction is the same. Maybe your reaction is the same whenever we encounter really dark times. Because we're often surrounded by and in the midst of situations that aren't right, they're not good, they're, they're dark and they're difficult and demanding, and our responses in those contexts are driven and dictated by that darkness. And you know, I kind of had a, uh, a strange thought this week. Because our reactions are often dictated by darkness. I think we can notice that uh, from our social media accounts, right? But I had a strange thought. I wonder what social media would have looked like in Philippi. <laughs> right? You guys have kind of traveled through this letter in the last few weeks. You've seen what these people are going through. They were going through some pretty difficult and dark times. They had some growth pains they were trying to work through, right? The guy who started it all, the guy who planted this church, who begun the faith in Philippi, who first brought the message of the gospel to Philippi, he's in prison. We don't know what's going on with him. And one of our other closest friends to the Philippians, one of their dearest companions, Epaphroditus, we find out that, that he almost died. There was a rumor that he almost died, and we haven't heard any news about him since then. And then last week, of course, we saw the effects of this church rift that's occurred between these two women. And everything that these people thought they knew about church, about living life together as followers of Christ, is being torn apart by the divisive behavior of these two women. And not to mention what was going on in these people's personal lives, what was happening in their homes, what was happening at their jobs, who knows what was happening in the city at large, who knows what laws were being enforced, who knows what rights were being taken away from the people. And can't you just imagine with me that there was probably a heaviness hovering over Philippi. And I imagine, as dumb as this sounds, I imagine my newsfeed in Philippi would have been pretty fiery. I can imagine statuses starting with phrases like, I can't believe that, dot, dot, dot. I'll never support, dot, dot, dot. That's it. This is, dot, dot, dot. Because I don't think that we're, in the present day, the first generation of human civilization to respond to darkness, to respond to struggles the way that we do. For hundreds, thousands of years, people have recognized it doesn't make sense to sing in the midst of struggles. And that's why I'm always amazed at people who do. That's why I'm amazed at people like my grandma, Wilma Huffaker, who's fairly old in age, who has been in and out of the hospital quite a bit in the last few months. And yet I know that I can sit next to my grandma on Sunday mornings and hear her, even if she is, even if her voice is shaky, even if her voice is choked up, even if her eyes are brimming with tears, I can hear her sing, because he lives I can face tomorrow. Because he lives all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. I think of a family that I know who as young kids, lost their mom to cancer. And now, just a couple of years ago, lost their dad as young adults. 
and now they're having to work through this process of a reorientation as they fill empty family roles and they came together to share their struggles and and to talk about the mourning and the grief that they're going through. And in that moment of sharing, one of the sisters popped up and began singing. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. Or I think of our friends in Charleston, who a mere four days after there was a slaughtering that took place at one of their worship gatherings, gathered in a similar fashion just days later, and they sang. How do you do that? How do you, how do you sing in the midst of suffering? I think that's why I'm amazed at Paul as well. Right, because you've seen some of what Paul is, is dealing with. And yet, have, have you noticed what he continuously says throughout the letter, there's a phrase that he continuously uses despite what's going on around him. Paul continuously cries out, rejoice, rejoice. Despite what Paul was going through, I don't understand how he was able to say rejoice. It doesn't make sense for Paul to sing in his struggles, but he does. Over and again, he says Rejoice. Why don't, you, why don't you look at it with me? Go back to the beginning of, of Philippians. Just turn back one more page if you have your Bibles open or, or swipe up if you have your phones. Philippians chapter 1. One of the reasons that Paul writes this letter is because he's received word from one of his ministry partners that this church is experiencing some, some growth pains, some, some strife, some distress. And so there's this, there's this church that Paul planted and he cared for. And he loved, and, and they loved him. They partnered with him in his own ministry. And, and Paul receives this news about what they're going through, about the darkness and the strife that they're dealing with. And yet even then, Paul is able to say, he, he begins by telling them in chapter 1, verse 3, that every time he thinks of them, he thanks God. Every time he thinks of them, including the time he thinks about their distress and their struggles. He thanks God. And what's more than that, he even says that all of his prayers, he prays with with joy because of them. Look a little bit further down the page, still in chapter 1, and notice what Paul comes to grip with. Paul recognizes that there, there are people who hate and despise him and are, are preaching the message that he's given his life to, preaching the message that he cares so deeply for, the message of the cross of Christ. They're preaching that message for their own gain and to spite Paul. And yet even then, Paul says, you know what, Christ is being proclaimed, rejoice. I'm rejoicing. And all this time, Paul is, is in prison. His life is on the line. His health and safety is out of consideration. He considers the end of his life to be very near on the horizon, a real possibility. And yet even then, the very first and the very last words that emerge from his pen as he describes this situation are, I will rejoice and I am glad and rejoice. Then we find out later in chapter 2 that Epaphroditus, whom Paul, he, Epaphroditus wasn't just a friend of the Philippians. Paul calls him his own brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And we find out that Epaphroditus was sick, that Epaphroditus almost died. 
And so when Paul tells the Philippians to receive Epaphroditus, he, he does so and tells them to rejoice, not just that Epaphroditus lived, but because Epaphroditus almost died. Even in that moment, even in the midst of death, he tells the Philippians to rejoice. And then, of course, we have in chapter 4, the first thing he addressed in chapter 4, this church rift between these two women. Who knows where their conflict began but the fight between these two women is, is causing such divisive living in the church that, that Paul is forced to write a letter. And yet, even then, in fact, it's, it's right then that Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. Just last week, I don't even know if any of you realized it, but in, in this service, uh, we had a special guest with us. His name is uh, Lynn Anderson, and I, I'll be honest, I didn't know really much about Lynn until last weekend, and I got to be with him for most of the weekend. Um, but to describe Lynn in um, college guy terms, dude's a big dog, okay? <laughs> Lynn is awesome. Lynn has been... This, uh, this minister of the gospel for many years and has been one of the most prominent preachers in our movement. And so I was hoping to pick at, at some of Lynn's wisdom and, and we were standing down here at the end of service last week after listening to Colin preach about what is likely the real root of this letter. Unity and, and living together despite whatever has happened, right? And I was talking to Lynn and he said, man, it was, just, it was so refreshing to hear a sermon on Philippians that I think gets it right. I think gets at the heart of the letter. I said, what, what do you mean, Lynn? He said, well, we hear all these sermons on rejoicing. If I was going to give one piece of advice, don't preach a sermon on rejoicing from Philippians. Did you notice the title of the sermon? Great. Rejoice. <laughs> Going against everything Lynn Anderson believes. But I think I'm beginning to understand what Lynn's discomfort was with preaching rejoicing from the letter of Philippians because this is not a joyful context. This is not a hopeful situation. I mean, do you, do you feel the weight of what these people were going through? Do you feel the weight of what Paul was dealing with in his own life? It doesn't make sense to sing in the midst of struggling. And yet even then, Paul has reason to rejoice. And I think it's because he's found what to look for. I think he tells us what to look for in chapter 4, verse 8. Go ahead and, and turn there and read it with me. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. But I want to guard against something here. Because I don't want to give you the impression that this is some sort of a silver lining gospel. This does not say, look at your situation long enough and you're going to find something good about it. This does not say, 
that no matter what's going on in your life, you need, you need to go to work, you need to, go to fa- uh, you need to be with your family, you need to put on this mask because if everything is fine and dandy. And this doesn't say that you need to come to church on a Sunday morning and sing songs of joy as if nothing is going on in your life. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. And yet even then, Paul has reason to rejoice, and it's not because of silver linings. It's because he's found not only what to look for, but he's found who to look for. I think this list isn't a solution, but it points us to a source. I think it serves to reiterate and reveal what Paul has already concluded in chapter 4, verse 5, which I believe to be the reason for his rejoicing. I think it's the reason for our rejoicing. I think this morning it can serve as maybe the only reason that you have to rejoice, and that is that the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Despite what's taking place, despite what I've been dealt, despite the darkness, I see what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. And all those things point me to only one conclusion. All those things point me to only one source, and that is that the Lord is near. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. This morning, some of you are here and you're saying, I I can hear you almost audibly. Listen, kid, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know what happened at work on Friday. You don't know what happened in my house all last week. You don't know what's been going on with my family for the last year. And you're, you're right. I, I can't pretend to know. But I know that you can't pretend. At least not for very long. Because I know that that each of us has something within us, something nagging at our souls. I know that each of us has something that's causing our hearts to fail within our chests. And I know that this mask of happiness mentality that we've convinced ourselves is is right and Christian-like won't last for very long. Which is why I want you to look around the room this morning. And notice some people in particular, some people in these blue shirts that you've seen to promote, celebrate recovery. Because these are people that have bought in. These are people who have decided to remove the mask and to promote a a life of honesty and, and transparency and of truthfulness and of sharing struggles together. Church, I love that. That's so good because... What that does is it allows us to live within our identity, our role as stars that shine in darkness better than we ever could with the mask on. Because I think of this self-perpetuating, silver lining mask of happiness mentality that we live by. And I think about our call to be lights in the darkness. And if we believe that we are to continuously crank ourselves up, if we believe that we're to continuously resuscitate ourselves and wind up our little light for the world, then maybe we can do it for a while. There will be times when it's easy, when the job is good, when family is good, when the government's good, but there will be times where it's too difficult, where it's too much for you to try to turn the crank on your little light. What we need 
is not a solution. We need a source. A source that, that shines in the darkness. The Gospel of John talks about such a source. He says that the word, that Jesus, the light, shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Not the darkness of your personal life. Not the darkness of our city. Not the darkness of our world. The darkness has not overcome it. I don't think Paul is pointing us to a solution, but I think he's pointing us to a source. And as we begin to see and name and recognize these attributes, as we begin to to notice what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, we begin to align ourselves with the source. And we shine like stars in the darkness despite what is going on around us, then we are able to live within our role as stars that shine. Church, I want to pray that you will shine like stars in the darkness, not by self-cranking, not by self-resuscitation, But I pray that as you recognize what is true and noble and good and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, that you will begin to see the source, Jesus Christ, who allows us to say all together, the Lord is near. And in that moment, we reflect and we shine and we say together, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you. We thank you that you've provided a way for us to see the world around us with with your eyes. I pray that you would continue to put it within our hearts to feel what you feel, to hurt when you hurt, and to love those whom you love. I pray that this church, this group of people would continue to grow into their role as stars that shine in darkness despite what's around them, that they would put themselves in line with with you, with your son Jesus, who shines and the darkness does not overcome him. I pray that you would make that true in this place and in this city through these people. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.